0: Welcome to the Bodily Transgressions in Fantastica Media podcast series. We hope you enjoy the series. If you have any questions or comments, we invite you to attend the Digital Symposium, which will take place on 12th November 2022 via Zoom. The event will be free, or drop us a line on our Discord server. Details are in the podcast information or can be found at fantasticajournal.com under CFP's Events and News. That's Fantastica with a K. This podcast is part of Panel 6, Digital Identities, which will take at 5.40 p.m. GMT time. This podcast is presented by Tom Huey, who is co-editor of Film International, assistant professor in literature and science at Dalhousie University. He is the author of Chizine Shakespeare the Life of Writing, and George Chizine, the co-author of The Worlds of Ernest Klein's Ready Player One, and the editor of George Gizine, The Private Papers of Henry Rycroft. Huey has earned the prestigious Frederick Banting Postdoctoral Fellowship and 2022 Dalhousie University President's Research Excellence Award for Emerging Investigators. He's an honorary research associate at University College London. His paper today is entitled Information Overload in Ernest Cline's Ready Player One. Hello,
1: I'm Dr. Tom Yu and I'm based in the English apartment at Dalhousie University in Halifax. This paper is written is co-written by myself and by my former student James Monday, who is currently at the University of Waterloo. Midway through Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, Wade returns to the virtual world of the Oasis to consult Halliday journals. James Halliday is the Oasis's co creator, and when he died he left behind a quest, the price of which are his stock and good Gregarious games and control for their oasis, collectively worth tens of billions of dollars. Ever since, gamers have been vying to complete this quest. Central to winning in both the novel and in Ernest Klein's novel, sorry, central to winning in both Ernest Klein's novel and the film are Halliday's notes to his favorite literatures, as well as his thoughts and opinions about miscellaneous matters, mostly in the form of criticism. Our arguments in what follows are that Klein and Spielberg offer particular insights in their archives, and that by looking at the treatment of information, we can deepen our understanding of the roles of repositories and bodies of knowledge in science fiction. In the novel, Halliday releases Anorak's Almanac, a collection of hundreds of undated journal entries. Most of the entries were his stream of consciousness, observations on various classic video games, science fiction, and fantasy novels, movies, comic books, and 80s pop culture, mixed with humorous diatribes denouncing everything from organized religion to dark soda. The Almanac serves as a sort of Bible for Gunters. Notwithstanding the it disclosures about the quest, it seemed to indicate that a familiarity with how these various obsessions would be essential to finding the egg. After all, how they created them both, and a book in excess of a thousand pages, appeared just after the quest was announced. Ready Player One, the film replaces The Almanac, the digital book, with The Journals, a large virtual archive in the Oasis with walls of transparent windows. Instructions about the quest are sparse. When introducing The Journals, Wade explains, How told us to look into his brain? This was the next best thing. Instead of a book that users can download for free, the journal is tethered to the Oasis, users via their avatars visit the building to research a game creator, and instead of written entries, the Journals comprises videos of Haley's actual real-life interactions compiled from personal photographs, home video recordings, surveillance, and any handicaps, all rendered into a three-dimensional virtual experience. The Journals' shiny windows emit the oasis of artificial light and a building is as inviting as the flashing neon lights suggest. That the journals has a transparent exterior lends to the archive an air of openness. Users can look in and look out, but neither the journals nor the almanac offers an adulterated view of how, into how Howley's life and mind. Archives, as the historian Lisa Jardine has persuasively argued, are hardly all that reliable. In *Temptations in the Archive*, she offers through an account of her paper chase for a letter by Margaret Croft, a cautionary tale about the trust we historians place in documents and records, and how badly we want each precious piece of evidence to add to the historical picture. Her account reveals an essential uncertainty which underlies and ultimately gives purpose to archival research in the humanities in spite of the reassur- reassuring materiality of the hundreds-of-years-old piece of paper we hold in our hand. Margaret Croft's intercepted letter ultimately disappoints Jardine, but her more substantial arguments are about how its contents square uneasily with the narrative that contemporary scholars are telling, and how Margaret Anne Everett Green, the Victorian archivist who is our point of access to it and to so many records, is biased. Elsewhere, Green encouraged Geraldine Julesbury to destroy Jane Carlyle's letters, leading Jardine to conclude, The very same woman who presided over the painstaking retrieval of the voices of women in the archives for the historical record stood equally vigilant and ready to defend their reputations from the disapproval of posterity. There was a decorum to be observed, in the interest of which even the most scrupulous of archivists might be persuaded to tamper with the evidence. We do well, as Jardine suggests, to be weary of evidence and of the archivists on whose shoulders we stand. Jardine's findings can usefully be applied to a reading of science fiction. In Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones, for example, Obi-Wan Kenobi recovers a poisonous dog from Padme's attempted murderer, and yet he can find no record of it in the analysis archives. Obi-Wan learns from Dexter Jester that this weapon originates from Kalmono, a planetary system located beyond the Outer Rim. As Obi-Wan discovers, this system has been erased from the archive charts because it is the clone army's production site. As we have shown elsewhere, Klein's novels are especially interesting for thinking about what to do with information. Both the almanac and the journalists promise to reveal, only to conceal. They provide gunters with so much, often too much information. The former has a whole entry of a views on masturbation, but they can just as easily be silent. The almanac is conspicuously quiet, say, on why Halliday parted ways with his best friend and business partner, Ogden Morrow, and this information is not to be found in any of the dozen biographies or the documentary films over which Wade pours. It is unsurprising that Halliday should wish to suppress elements from his personal life. He happily removes from his copies of Middletown all mentions of his father being an abusive alcoholic and of his mother being bipolar. Nevertheless, Halliday makes his private information vital for obtaining the egg. Kira, whom Halliday loves deeply and who is the recent underlying determination of his and Ogden's relationship, is the key to the final test that Wade must complete. Wade is only successful because he's inspired by his recent conversation with Ogden where he learns that Kira was the only woman Halliday ever loved and because he recalls from a biography of Ogden that Halliday would only address her as Leucousia, the name of her D&D character. Similarly, in the film, the journalist has been cleansed of many personal details. Wade remarks to Artemis that, notwithstanding Halliday's romantic interest in Kira, they had gone on all of one date. Her confounding of gregarious games, her eventual marriage to Ogden, and her untimely death, the name Kira is only mentioned once in all of the all of Halliday's journals. The journal's curator, curator, sorry, who, is presum- who presumably knows the collection best and who is later revealed to be Arknem, marvels at this omission. It makes no sense. She was an important part of both their lives. Wade goes on, Halliday purposely removed every mention of Kira except for this one. I've always felt that the biggest clue to the contest was hidden here. The journals provide Gunters with information that would be that would not be important, that would not be important or perhaps known to Halley. By nature of the entries being ex- assembled from different video sources, taping Halley's life, it shows details he does not notice or, in some cases, even see. We cannot always notice every detail of every incident that occurs in our everyday lives. When Wade visits our journals to watch footage of the 2029. Gregarious Games' office party, for example. The cleaners in the background are perfectly visible to Wade. Halliday's focus, however, is directed to the, pa- to the table he's cleaning, as well as his conversation with Bogdan, which centers on Ogden's reservations about the Oasis and the end of his involvement in Gregarious Games. Halliday's intense focus can be seen as a kind of defense mechanism. He's avoiding this confrontation with Bogdan. Very clearly, Halliday values this memory, or else it would not be in the journals at all. And this episode also proves important in the a But more significant to our arguments, it contains a wealth of information, and indeed an excess of information, that would make us overlook the the single important line. Why can't we go backwards for once? The journals also contain an archive of every film, game, book, and television program Halliday ever saw. Later, the High Five is presented with the opportunity to experience any of the films that Halliday could have seen on his date with Kira. That the archive keeps track of every film that he has ever seen, organizes it by the week and the year that he did, and notes the number of times he has seen it, does not mean that he can or would want to know all this information offhand. Moreover, Halliday cannot possibly have found meaningful or wish to recall every single film he has ever seen. Only a handful of references are needed to complete the archive, and it behoves a player to read Halliday's mind and to guess at what was important for him when he created a particular part of the quest. Amidst this surplus of information, we do well to dwell on Ogden, who knows Halliday best. Ogden is mostly an impartial observer watching from the sidelines in a novel. He has agreed to protect the spirit and integrity of the contest, and to intervene if it ever became necessary, which he does when he offers sanctuary to the high five. Conversely, Ogden is often very meddlesome, if passively so in the film. In both of Wade's visits to a journal, the curator deters him with sarcasm. He recognizes Wade and asks in the first visit, And and how will you eat up my valuable search time today? despite there being no other patron, and debates with him about the archive's contents. He does not, in fact, help to navigate the excessive information contained in the journals, and Wade must do so on his own. Ogden cannot, of course, be in control of the curator all the time, nor can he assist every gunter who visits the journals. However, it is Ogden himself who verifies Wade's claim that not—sorry, is only ever mentioned in the journals once. It is understandable that he should feel surprised. He was an active participant in key episodes in Halliday's life, and yet Wade knows what is in the archive and the details of what happened better than he does. Indeed, Wade quotes Ogden's comments about Halliday's and Sorrentis relationship, oblivious of the fact that Ogden, who may not even remember ever having said this, is standing right beside him. Ogden cannot be impartial in in his role as a curator. He searches the journals for references, specifically to Karen Underwood Marwell. A more effective search would involve a combination of key terms, such as Karen Underwood, Karen Morrow, Kira Underwood, or Kira Marwell. The research librarian would not, Paul and Jardine, necessarily trust that all evidence has been cataloged and indexed correctly, and they would look for places where Kira might likely or even possibly appear including her gaming experiences with Dark Crystal and her marriage to Ogden. Both the curators' search for the one term and for this specific term reveal his significant biases. He prioritizes the married Karen when he searches for a full name, instead of Kira, the name by which Halliday most often refers to her. The rub is that Halliday had created his archive, and so he may well be using Kira. The consequences of the search may be significant. Ogden may obtain far fewer hits, and there may well be much more to the archive than he and Wade realize. Wade proves wiser than Ogden in the end. He recognizes that Halliday misses him. Kira wasn't a key. It was you, Mr. Morrow. You were the Rosebud. And Halliday's biggest regret was losing his only friend. Gunters developed systems to make sense of their reading. Wade keeps a notebook, what he calls a Grail Diary, following Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and it is one of the few physical items that he takes with him to Columbus. Wade writes down not only what he learns, but also his attempts to decipher the egg hunt's various widows. It is significant that, at least initially, he conceives of the diary as an escape from the oasis and not the information contained therein. By unplugging himself from cyberspace and its distractions, Wade can better concentrate on the information that he believes to be directly relevant to the hunt. He goes on, however, to discover that his system is unequal to the task in hand. His diary, which he eventually has to digitalize, had now grown into a vast mountain of data containing every scrap of information he had collected since the contest began. It appeared as a jumble of cascading windows displaying text, maps, photos, and audio and video files, all index, cross-reference, and pulsing with life. Klein's language here is revealing. Wade's own archives like the Almanac and the Journals is organized by a system that he best understands, but unlike them, it is a living collection that keeps on growing. His materials on Pac-Man, and arcade game that Halliday loved, are a case in point. When Wade opens his square diary for insight into how to play a perfect game, his diary contains the original game code, the unabridged biography of the designer Torey Iwantani, every Pac-Man strategy guide ever written, every episode of the Pac-Man cartoon series, the ingredients for Pac-Man cereal, and of course patterns. I had Pac-Man pattern diagrams out the wazoo, along with hundreds of hours of archived video of the best Pac-Man players in history. While the Pac-Man patterns are crucial here, Wade has never played, nor even seriously attempted a perfect game before. He could not have anticipated when he would need them, and so he keeps them, along with much else, with him all the time. Wade's and his peers' extensive research into Halliday's archive makes it all the more difficult to determine what is especially important. If anything can be relevant, then it stands to reason that one ought to have notes about everything. We would go further. The whole purpose of Wade's diary is to keep relevant information handy, and yet at the rate in which which his personal archives are growing, there will be little difference between looking at Pac-Man on Google and in Wade's diary. It seems impossible to sort through this content and to sort out what is and what isn't worth reading. The issue of information overload is not confined to Gunter communities. The IOI has a massive great deal of data on Halliday, enough to make Wade's quail diary appear modest. They had things I had never seen, things I didn't even know exist. Still, Halliday's grade school report cards, home movies from his childhood, and emails he had written to fans do not actually help them. Working in the state of information surplus, Wade and H are certain that their friend Iraq. Sorry, Irok would never be able to prove that they are all students on Ludus, even if he posts about them to every Gunter message board he could find. Irok has, ne- has neither more nor less credibility than any gamer who posts on an Oasis forum. If anything, Irok, the obnoxious pose- poser with limited knowledge who banishes an oversized plasma rifle the size of a snowmobile, has slightly less. Wade and H are confident that his messages will go. A notice in a sea of posts by gunters also claiming to be their close personal friends. There's considerable freedom to what we do with what we with we do. So there's considerable freedom of what to do before we learn. As the scholar Henry Jenkins says, collective intelligence is just orderly, undisciplined, and unruly. Just as knowledge gets called upon on an ad hoc basis, he says, there are no fixed procedures for what you do with knowledge. Each participant applies their own rules. As Klein illustrates, it can be used for good. In the novel's final scenes, for instance, the high five finally clan up. Equipped with an extra life, but pressured to complete the quest before the IOI does, Wade asks H, Artemis, and Children for help. You guys are right. This is my only shot at clearing the third gate. There won't be any second chances for anyone. The sixes will be here soon, and they'll enter the gate as soon as they arrive. So I have to clear, clear it before they do. On my first... On my first attempt, the odds of me win of me pulling that off would increase drastically if the three of you are backing me up. Wade assures Artemis that he would share his winnings, whether or not they contribute. Yet as he also indicates, helping me is probably in your best interest. But collective intelligence can just as easily be used for evil. It has made both the Oasis and the real world less safe for Gantos. So Wentu and the IOI scour the cyberspace for possible clues, and like many gunters, they come ac- across Iroks' tip, one of presumably many but with the seem- seemingly limitless resources they follow upon. If Dato and Shoto use this knowledge to track down the Tomb of Horus on Ludus, then Sorrento, as we will see, weaponizes it. He identifies and makes good on his to aid, blowing up his home in the shacks and murdering his aunt and neighbors in the process.